think you like Nerf guns flying around uh, when I preach, so I won't try to do that, okay? Uh, but I really just want to encourage you, and really, really try to encourage all of us, um, not just to view a, a sermon or sitting under a teaching of Scripture as just this uh, kind of nice food for thought, but but really seeing this as the bread of life. And again, it's not because my words are magical um, or life-changing, but it's because this is God's Word, which is about to be imparted to all of us. And so I'm just unique in that God has placed me here in this time to be really a conduit, which I think and hope and pray He's speaking and using. But really, it's His Word that we know is going to last for all eternity, that's going to bear His name, that's going to be really profitable for us. And so because of that, I just really want us to together dive deeper into God's Word. Okay, so we're going to, ask, we're going to pray and ask God to, to do really what only He can do. Okay, would you pray with me? Lord, as we just look into Your Word this morning, I'm really such a small amount of time compared to not only the chasm of eternity, but just, just the space of our week. I pray that You would really accomplish exactly what You want to accomplish today that your word would bury itself down deep into our lives, not just food for thought, not just simple answers, uh, on a trivia later on, but, but really viewing your word as the bread of life, that we would never be hungry again. God, bury it deep today in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to test your, your memory recall this morning. Okay, we began John, 1 John last week. So now we're in 1 John chapter 1, continue with the remainder of the chapter. All right, who wrote the book of 1 John? John. How do you know that? Because the name of it is John. It's on the screen. Okay, you're all very astute people. You don't know that in the same way you know many of the other New Testament books. It doesn't say this is John. Right, but we talked about last week how there's lots of correlations in the style of writing between the Gospel of John and First John, and so we begin to look at those things. Even how he uses the word "believe" over "faith" numerous times. There's just other types of similarities that give us confidence that John, the Gospel writer, also wrote First, Second, and Third John. Who was John? The Apostle John. Right? What, are some, what are some things about him besides that? What makes him an apostle? What? I heard it. I heard something. Yeah, like you two just parted. Like, not me. It wasn't me who spoke. Yeah, he hung out with Jesus. He, he had firsthand experience with Jesus, right? That's what makes an apostle an apostle, that firsthand interaction, right? That's why Paul called himself an apostle. Jesus spoke directly to him, okay, even though he didn't spend time with him. All right? He was the one whom Jesus loved. He was part of the inner circle. Um, what did John do after Christ ascended back into heaven? What was his vocation for, as far as we know? Huh? A lot of whispers, a lot of mumbles. He was a pastor. That's really what he was. He ended up being a pastor. He was not part of like a major Acts 29 church planting movement. He doesn't write as many letters as Paul wrote, but he had a heart for people. We know he just, he, he shepherded them, he watched over them, and, and what he writes to really is to people that he has a heart for, right? So who did he write to? It's, it's not complicated. He wrote to believers, people who had seemingly trusted the gospel that he knew, okay? He wrote 
um, really, we think one big kind of overarching thought, it was rising up in culture of just Gnosticism. The idea that salvation could come through self-discovery and kind of harnessing the inner light within you as a human being. Right? This is a prevalent kind of growing thought process. And so Paul really is, or John really is writing to combat some of that. And you're actually going to see that in the remainder part here of 1 John. He wrote with really three themes in mind. Can you recall what they are? I know I said these last week. By the way, can you guess what question I'm going to ask next week? It might be similar. It's like the teacher telling you to study your study guide, right, before your test. What three themes were there? Does anybody remember any of them? True doctrine. Obedient living. And fervent devotion. True doctrine, obedient living, and fervent devotion. You're going to see these themes over and over and over in the writing of 1 John. Last week, we really talked about specifically what he lays out for us in the first, just the first four verses. That fellowship or union that is established takes place for, for everyone that's in Christ, with Christ. So when, meaning when someone comes to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there's union, there's now fellowship with Christ. Right? We don't use the word fellowship or union to describe a tense uh, relationship, do we? We shouldn't. I wouldn't say I've got union with my wife. There's fellowship there. It's good. Right? If I wouldn't use those words to describe my marriage if things aren't that great. So Paul, the language he uses is very important. When we come to faith in Christ, the union, the fellowship that we have, man, it is good. In fact, Scripture would say that we've been restored to our Heavenly Father that that relationship was, was broken because of sin and sin's effect in the world. And, and so we don't experience right out of the gate the relationship or communion like Adam and Eve did. Right? We've got a severed relationship. But when we come into salvation through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, our fellowship is restored. And not only do we get vertical fellowship, we also get horizontal fellowship. Meaning with other people who have trusted in Christ, we have a deep relationship with them. I can remember when I was working with more with students than I do now. You know, we, we, there's at times we've been talking about dating and those sort of topics that are really fun to talk about, all right? And just trying to encourage them, look, you need to think about the thing that needs to matter most to you. And that's your relationship with the Lord, right? And it, it, you, you can't possibly, right, Scripture doesn't say, look, just go kind of date whoever you want, right? It talks about, look, you need to think about the thing that should matter most to you, and that's someone else's relationship with the Lord. Because, because we're about to be linked together here. Right? And, as, and trying to help even just a high school understand, like, that, that's a big deal. Because one day it impacts marriage, right? Not that a high schooler thinks about marriage necessarily, but they should when they think about dating. Right? But that, that's part of that, that union, that fellowship that we get with Christ is with each other. And so, again, I keep saying it blows my mind when you look at the church, the local church context. One-year-olds. 30-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 90-year-olds, spending time together, hanging out together. Why? Because you have Christ in common. And that matters most of all. See, from there, John begins to move kind of outward in his thought process. I mean, the first thing to understand is that, that if Christ was the Son of God, then a relationship with him changes not only what is in heaven, but also what's on earth. 
See, John in his writing here is not looking just for mental or surface assent or affirmation, but John really wants to get people stirring. He wants to challenge their thoughts, but also challenge their thoughts so that it would impact who they are at a deep level. Are you stirring at the core of really who we are? John is not asking for just kind of this quick assent, like, sure, I, sure I'm going along with that. But he's saying, look, if, if you're claiming to go along with Christ, it's much more than just your verbal, yes, amen, I'll raise my hand in a church service maybe. But what John is trying to communicate is, look, if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be one of his, man, deep fellowship changes you. And it changes you for the better. It changes who you are. That deep union with Christ changes who you are from the core. And then that begins to work inside out. And in church culture, right, we did a really bad job, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, I think anyway. And I was only, I was born in 81, right? But I can look back in church history because we gave a really high ascent to outward appearance. Right? We have plenty of people coming to church wearing nice suits and nice dresses. And that's not bad. But I promise you, we have people who are coming to church who are beating their wives and kids at home. Man, outward appearance was gold. I think we had a moralistic culture, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think what it created was almost like a veil that as long as we looked okay on the outside, man, your heart could be a train wreck, but just make sure you're looking okay on the outside. And you may not like this, but I actually appreciate it. Our culture has kind of softened some of that. I like wearing jeans, okay? So that's comfortable for me in that respect. But we're also willing to say, look, I am a wreck on the inside too. And I need the gospel to to resonate deep within me. And I need you to help me in this. We've become a little bit more vulnerable as a culture in the last 20 or so years. We're willing to admit faults. Not proudly, not like a fraternity, like you should have saw what I did last weekend, kind of thought process, but man, I, I need your help in this. Because I think we've, we're seeing that horizontal fellowship is good for us in our growth and maturity in Christ. And this is what John wants to get after. That in Christ, fellowship with him changes who we are at the very core. And it's for the better. As John kind of keeps working this out, again, I I think he just wants to walk into the practical, practical evaluation. He's laying out for us that if we have union with Christ, that what then must connect to that union is our flesh and bones. Or if we have union with Christ, what must connect to that union is flesh and bones. Again, meaning it's not just cognitive assent. Like, you can say, yeah, I believe this is God's word, right? And you could totally believe that. That's cognitive assent. Like, you're affirming this, and that's good. But Paul, or John, also wants us, and I think we all ought to want this for ourselves, this has to connect with the daily. Like, it has to. This isn't the writings of Aristotle and Plato here. Ponder, think more deeply, wonder about the greater mysteries of the earth. This is meant to impact what kind of neighbor you are, what kind of parent you are, what kind of coworker you are. It's meant to infiltrate the deepest places of your life, to look around with a flashlight, which we'll talk about this morning. It's, it's meant to drive at who you are, the very core of your existence. 
And I think that's what John's going to get at for us this morning. So if you have a Bible, would you look at just verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1? I'll read them together. This is God's word. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John begins here with a reminder that he isn't making this up. John isn't bored one day, sitting there trying to just conjure up some ideas to send off to people. But it begins in verse 5, This is a message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. In other words, John is reminding us that what he's about to say matters. Because it's not from him. It's not his own two cents. It's not just what he wrote down in his journal one day as he watched the sun rise over a nice valley. But no, this is not from him. It is from Jesus. These are not trivial words. These are not matters of opinion. These are, in fact, words of life that he's trying to impart to those reading and listening. Right? They are declarative words. They are not emotionally driven. They are not subject to uh, current cultural situations. They are not uh, definitive upon whether you live in the U.S. or across the world. These are accurate statements that are not trivial. They are declarative. God is light. See, John begins with really a definitive statement, not about himself, not about you, not about me, but about God. John's entire conversation here begins with who God is. Because if you and I have different views of who we think God is, then you and I will now interpret what God says and how it works into our lives very differently. If God is this creator that some think, who then kind of start the clock up, right? He wound the clock after he made everything and just said, let's just watch that pendulum go and see how it plays out. If that's the God that you believe in today, then you really have no concern for him. You can live independent. The world will just keep going on and on. You'll die one day and someone else will be born and on and on we'll go. And that pendulum will keep swinging until apparently God, who's the only one who, because he made the clock, decides to stop the pendulum. If that's what you hold to, you at least have some sort of assent to a moral entity that exists that you're maybe trying to roll the dice with. Hopefully you've got bigger scales that weigh out good than bad at the end because it's all really going to be able to put stock into. Or perhaps God's not existing at all to you and it truly is eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you'll die. Or just maybe, just maybe there is a God who did create our universe who did create mankind, who did call mankind very good, said he's made in my image, man and woman alike, this unique bearing. And after mankind decides to jack it up and disobey God, God in his infinite grace and mercy steps into the sending of his son to redeem us through the blood of Christ alone, 
dying on the cross for our sins, our brokenness, our mistakes, not staying in the grave, but rising again so that we can have eternal life through faith alone in Christ alone. If that latter option is the God that you cling to, is the God of the Bible, then when we see statements that declare something about God, our ears ought to perk up. When John says God is light, it is important. This book, the scripture that we have in front of us, is not a book primarily about what this says about us. Like, this is not a book of, of just historical humanity, but about who God is. This book declares the glory of God. In the Zoom podcast this last week, um, one pastor tried to remind his congregation like, that the walls of Jericho did not fall down because the people shouted. The walls of Jericho fell down because God declared them to fall down. The river Jordan stopped so his nation of Israel could cross it because God declared for the river of Jordan to stop. He may have used his people to walk out their obedience in that process, but those are humanity. That's people. God declared it to stop. Christ rose from the the grave because God declared him to rise from the grave. This book is supremely about God and yet uniquely woven to impact us, to interact with us, to not leave us the same, but in fact to relieve us from the penalty of sin, in fact to redeem us. So when John declares with some authority that God is light, we ought to pay attention. What does that matter? What does that mean that God is light? Throughout the Old Testament, light symbolized both knowledge and purity. See, light in its truest sense is pure. And pure light, when pressed into darkness, does not allow darkness to exist. Right? Now remember, rising thought in this era of this Gnosticism was that discover your inner light. And then true happiness and fullness can come out of that. But here is John is pressing to that very topic that any self-searching that you and I do will not bring us to a great source of enlightenment and eternal life. Sure, look within yourself. Figure out how you're made. Stop doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results, right? If you do, start wondering about yourself. Process who you are. But know that in the end, just better understanding you will not lead you to eternal life. See, John is not simply talking about a theoretical light, but rather he is talking about the the light of who God is that is active in the truest form. See, because God is light, he is pure, and he is true, darkness cannot be part of who he is. If darkness in any form were to dwell where God is, then he could not be light. When darkness is present, light is not the dominating factor. And in God, light exists without the present darkness. So what is light? Is it just physical light? Right? I think this theoretical, right, this theological imagery is very important to us. Again, this light that, that John is talking about here, is, it is pure, it is perfect, and it is utterly righteous. The light that God is referenced to and as, it's revealing. We know that flashlights at night are helpful, aren't they? 
and dark spaces. They reveal things. They not only show a pathway, they reveal right, obstacles in the pathway. If you've ever camped at nighttime and had to go to the bathroom, a flashlight is very helpful. Not just to help show you where to walk, but so you don't trip on that route for the 14th time. Right? God is essentially the same thing, meaning He is revealing. This light unveils many things. It unveils our spiritual identity. And it unveils an identity about who God is. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, the gospel said that he is the light of the world. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus is an accurate depiction of the Father. He is light as is his heavenly Father. So what? So what? So he's light. The matter of being light is a complete contrast opportunity here for John and for us. See, John uses this imagery so that we would understand that with light, darkness is not possible. Light has purpose. Light has effect. And its effect is meant to be large. One does not turn on a light to hurt themselves, right? but rather light is used to help and to show and to reveal. And this, is, folks, is exactly what Jesus does. He is light, meaning Jesus himself is meant to show. He is meant to help. He is meant to reveal. Well, to show what? To help how or to reveal what? To show and to help us understand and to reveal our need for him. Jesus is light because he is meant to reveal that he is the one who can rescue. He is the one that saves. See, Jesus in all his glory shows his holiness. He reveals our brokenness and calls us to himself to receive healing and restoration and forgiveness and to be made whole again. In this light, everything changes. And John's words are, look, you too must walk in the light. Look at the screen. What's, a, what's that a picture of? Darkness. But if there's an image there, would light help in this situation? Or is it just going to be black, right? Light's helpful. Even the right optics can be helpful. I mean, you can walk into a cougar not knowing it's there, right? That's the game cam, there's night vision, there's all these optics that make it really helpful to see that. Light is very helpful. Light reveals danger. Light shows things in front of us. Light impacts how we live. If you were to assume that it was just black darkness you would have kept walking. But if you could see there's a mountain lion in front of you, my guess is you would have stopped. See, Jesus again in all of his glory shows these things. Jesus is that light of the world. He reveals what the darkness was excellent at concealing. Excellent at concealing. Darkness is fascinating. I'm not sure what time you got up today, but 
at five in the morning, it was dark. As you watch that, that light start to tick a little higher in the sky, you start to see objects and images that were once blurry now become clear. Darkness is masterful at concealing things. And light is incredible at what it can reveal. These two things are contrast here on purpose. See, John is writing now to stimulate not only thoughts, but real life evaluation. If God is light, and if we have fellowship with him and each other in Christ, then we too must be a people who walk in the light. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if you and I claim Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, and then we simply just go on living our lives however we want, engaging in whatever act or sin we may choose, ignoring God and his call on our lives, then we are simply lying to ourselves and to those around us. And there is no possible way the gospel can have taken root in us. And here's what I know in our growing sensitive right, culture, that you and I don't like what that says. Because who is John to tell me? Like, who, who does John think he is to tell me that I can't live my life a certain way? Like, who is John to declare to me what my life ought to look like? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my background. He didn't know what it was like for me growing up. He didn't know how hard I have it. He didn't know what I worked for. He didn't know, look how, look how far I've come, John. I came from nothing, but now look at me. I've got the American dream. I've got my white house, my 2.5 kids. Now, I'm doing this. Now, who is John? Well, John walked with Jesus. So when John speaks, we should listen up a little bit. See, John's words are truly a call to examine ourselves. If we're claiming Christ, if we're claiming that we too are in the light, like Jesus is light, that's where we're choosing to live, right? We're in the light. Like I'm claiming Christ, and what I'm saying is I'm choosing to live in light and not in darkness anymore. And how I'm going to live and walk and carry out my business I cannot do it like I, I can, I'm just going to sneak in the tunnels of darkness. No, I'm doing all those things in light. But if in actuality we've got dark areas in our life where we want to keep conducting life, then we are not choosing to walk out the truth of knowing Christ. See, John's primary concern is that the life of the one who has trusted in Christ, it cannot remain as they once were. It cannot. And here's the temptation, guys, for us is this, that we want to look back and say, but look where I've come from. Like I used to be way over here. Like I never went to church. But look, I'm here. I'm going to go like every week. I would never give money. Are you kidding me? Like I work hard for my money. Like you want me to give money to support a local church and you want me to, to give money to support kids in Africa that I'm never even going to meet? Look what I'm doing now. I would never have done it, but now look where I am. And listen, don't hear me wrong. Those things aren't bad. Like, yeah, be part of a local church. That's a good thing. 
And to be generous, that's huge. Like that is to mark the life of the believer. But here's a temptation for us. We say, look at how far I've come. And then we just stop. We kind of begin to believe the idea that, that, well, I've done this much already. I mean, do I have to really do any more? Like, like, can't I just hold on to a little bit of what I want over here? Can't I just live a little bit of the way I want to over here? Can, can I just have some of this for me over here? And then we begin to run this, this kind of selfish batter, uh, banter of thought back and forth. Like, wh- why not? Because light cannot exist with darkness. Christ never calls us to a comfortable faith. Rather, he calls us to a faith in him that's rooted deep in the gospel. See, Christ does not call us to a faith that's, that he's added on to our existing life in the most palatable way possible. Again, this is not a choose-your-own-adventure book that we get to kind of follow and then just tear out the pages we don't like or take a black sharpie, but want to highlight the things we do like with yellow highlighter. That's not a life of Christ that he calls us to. We're not called to a salvation that decides where Christ can enter into, what parts of our lives that we want to allow Christ access to, or where he gets to be king. In other parts, we just say God can't have access And here's the reality. This type of Christianity, your so-called Christianity, that type of so-called salvation is actually damning and does not practice true salvation in Christ alone. Rather, the light, the gospel, Christ, he is to shine in all places. One of the hardest words for the follower of Christ that we have to learn to swallow the pill of is called submission. Submission. We don't like that word. Right? And, and, and MMA and, and wrestling, that's a, like the submission move is getting your opponent to give up, to tap out. That implies weakness. That implies that we can't do this. But Christ calls us to submit to him. Because we can't do this without him. Meaning we can't live, we can't have eternity without Christ. And we also can't pursue Christ without Christ. And we also cannot change our lives without Christ. So the gospel is meant to go into every part of our facet. And when I see and I observe this idea of just say a prayer and ask Jesus into your life and then go eat, drink, and be merry, that type of gospel is not the real gospel it is a damning gospel and my biggest fear in any fear of any pastor who preaches god's word is that there are people sitting in their churches in comfortable chairs and pews who think they know jesus who think they'll have eternity one day and they don't and you can sit there and say well who the heck are you to judge me i'm not going to judge you The God of the universe gets to do that. He says the only thing that will save is a life given over to the gospel. Trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Savior is nice. The Lord thing is really hard. But that's salvation he calls us to. 
See, John knows us as he knows humanity anyway. See that John knows the tendency that we have to try to convince ourselves of just false truth. In verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, we say we're good, we deceive ourselves. In fact, there's, there's cause for great concern to have an attitude of not thinking we need God to work in our lives. That there's not sin anywhere left in our life that God needs to work on. John's saying, look, if that's where you're at right now, if you think that you're just, you're, you're golden, like you've arrived, you're deceiving yourselves. It's the greatest fear to think one's safe when they really are not. That's a huge thing. When one thinks they're safe, but they really aren't. We've convinced ourselves of a false reality. Like, well, I'm, I'm good. When we're really not. And this idea of, do you have places in your life, do I have places in my life, right, that, that are just left for me? They're my spaces. Like, God can have all of this. He can have my time, some of my money, but I'm going to keep these things. Unfortunately, that's not what God calls us to. And it's not a matter of personal perspective. Like, you don't get to agree to disagree with God on this one. Right? Like, we have these kind of pictures you see online or on whatever places. Right? And what do you see? The young lady or the old woman. And I say, well, that's just your perspective. I'm not going to explain to you. Ask me later where the young lady is versus the old woman. All right? They're both there. Trust me. All right? And you guys say, that's, what, that's just your perspective. You see that young lady with a big whatever that thing called, feather up the front of her head. Or you see the old woman with her nose and the shawl behind her head. Well, it's, just, it's your perspective. Look. This is not what sin is in our lives. Sin is not just my perspective. Sin is not just your perspective. See, Scripture says that sin cannot be ongoing Darkness cannot exist if light is present. No one's ever said at high noon, look, it's potential darkness outside. No one says that. On a sunny day with a clear sky, no one says, oh, you know, potentially going to get dark out there. That's the furthest thought that you have because that light has blasted into everything. The light has broken through. See, this call by John is to live in the light as a response to the light. Once we come to faith in Christ through the gospel, the light is now within us. This is light that's meant to light up like a beacon in our lives. Right? A lighthouse is meant to reveal the dangers that are ahead. And a lighthouse continues to revolve around, doesn't it? Shining light. That's one of the beauties of a lighthouse. It's consistent. It's there. It's present. That lighthouse is not dependent upon how comfortable that captain is with the ocean. Nobody who's a captain radios to the lighthouse and says, Hey, it's me again. Go ahead and turn it off. I'll be fine. No captain says that. They want that lighthouse on. 
Because even if they've been there a hundred times, they have to be reminded there's danger here. The same is true for the follower of Jesus. We've never truly arrived. You have to get that out of your mind. We've never fully arrived. The only place that you get to say that you've arrived is when you stand in front of Jesus in glory one day and you're only there because Jesus provided a way for you to be there. So until that happens, what do we do? We've got to allow the light of the gospel to shine into every part of our lives. We have to allow the light, the root of God's word, to go strongly to reveal areas that our life does not yet reflect Jesus. These are hard messages to preach if you've never done that before or teach. There's often times where I get done with a sermon and I think that was probably just for me. Like I just need to hear that from myself. This is one of those areas. As long as I can remember, I have sat in a church pretty faithfully. Like even on vacation we would go to church. And it's really tempting for me to think, like, I'm pretty good. (laughs) Like, I'll tell you five of the people I'm better than right now. And it's very tempting for me to go down that road, and maybe it's for you too, of just, man, look how far I've come. But look, there's still areas in my life where I'm just perhaps holding on to with a tight fist that I'm not allowing light to break into. And maybe you're the same. John encourages us in this thought, though. In verse 9, he says, We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so John's trying to say, look, if that's where you're at, if this is your life right now, the encouragement here is, look, you can confess and, and God will be faithful to continue to forgive. So look, I would beg you, confess the areas of sin that you are not willing to give up. Maybe it's control. Control is a huge thing for almost everybody. And that comes and manifests itself in all different ways out. We get angry, right? We fire at people just quickly before we even think about what's coming out of our mouths. Maybe we have to confess that to the Lord and say, look, look, God, I want to give you control of my life. That, that sounds nice, right? That, actually, that's very easy for me to say. I think it is. God, I want to give you control of my life. God, I want to give you control of how I interact with my kids. Because you know what I found out this morning? That one of my kids used my tablet and had 13% battery life this morning. I'm preaching from that right now, right? In that moment, like I had to wrestle with, like, do I fire right at my kid? Like, what? why didn't you plug this in? Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm the one responsible to make sure this is charged before a Sunday morning, right? It's just even that moment, God, I think it was just very gracious in this moment of this, I didn't bring it up to them at all. Like, plug it in. Like, it's, it's dead. What am I gonna do about it? Like, just get it charged. Let's get moving on this. Right? God, give me control of how I interact with my kids. 
Now, I want to turn that over to you. I want to turn my patience over to you. Confess these things to the Lord. Confess there are areas that we've just become comfortable with. Perhaps it's just sin that, that we honestly don't call sin. We call it a, I think it's indicative of our church culture, right? We call it a bad habit. We call it a struggle. We call it my cross to bear, which is a ridiculous, uh, gross use of Scripture in that way. Right? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's not a dog. It's probably a duck. And so if we begin to look at God's Word very seriously and say, man, these are commands He gives us. And He says, look, He wants sin to have no root in our lives. God, I need to give that over to you. Lastly, confess the areas that maybe you're not even aware of. Maybe you have no idea that that is even a sin, that you're living in darkness. Confess it, God, there, there are things that I don't even know, so would you just reveal that to me? Pray that God would graciously open your heart and your mind and your eyes to these things. None of us would say, none of us would say, you know what I miss? Darkness. There are these fascinating places on this earth, right? Alaska, one of them. It stays light for a long time. It stays dark for a long time. I've got no desire to experience that. I've never been there, but I don't believe that anyone says, you know what I miss? Darkness. Nobody says that. None of us are going to call the power company tomorrow, 8 a.m. Monday morning, and say, hey, turn my power off. Look, I, don't want, I don't want light at nighttime anymore. I just want darkness. Nobody's going to do that. The same is true for those of us who are in Christ. That there cannot be any tolerance of darkness. and It's completely counter to the life of the believer. We soften in some ways. We, we give those things more roots and more credibility than we need to. And at times we even allow sin to be present. But we have to ask the question, I believe like John was trying to encourage, are there areas that you and I, we have to let the light shine in on? Listen, you and I, we're not the purest light. God alone is. And we must allow God and his word to permeate all the cracks and crevices. All of them. For our good and for his glory. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to press the gospel, press your word into dark spaces, Lord the places of our lives that we, we maybe want to reserve for ourselves or hold on to or for ourselves, Lord, would, would you just tear into? We may even say we prefer it to be gently, but God, the reality is many of us need it to be quickly. Trusting that the life that you call us to live in Christ is truly the best way to live. Father, would you do so out of your grace and abundance of your mercy? Amen.